Welcome to IMI Tech Talk. It's the second Sunday of May. It's May 10th, 2015. We're on at 6 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices, and we're going to be discussing hybrid clouds, the practical solution. Bet you wonder what that means. And our guest is uh, Dan Kozeski, and uh, we'll get to Dan uh, after our week in review. I'm Tom DiOri. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated, and together with our weekly guest, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We follow this with our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests follow this for many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk, that's T-E-C-H... T-A-L-K, at IMI-US.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send us email messages at that email address I just gave you, techtalk at IMI-US.com. We monitor that throughout the show, and we'll get back to you uh, pretty quickly. And you can call in at 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area but want to call us with questions, uh, you can call us at 1-866-536-1100. We're also being simulcast on the web. So if you can't get to your radio but you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. Click in the upper right-hand corner on the Tech Talk button. That takes you to all the archives. You can listen to the shows many times you want. Send them to your friends. It's free. So please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. Okay, our first segment is our Week in Review, Drinkery's coverage of New York technology events in New York City and around the world, compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan DiOria, and Jose Batista. And yesterday was Dan DiOria's 20th birthday, so happy birthday, Dan. Okay, so uh, we're going to start with uh, a little sad note on uh, Friday uh, in Long Island, New York. Thousands and thousands of mourners gathered for the funeral of police officer Brian Moore. Our sympathies, as you know, we work very closely with the NYPD, and uh, this young officer was 25 years old in a family of uh, uh, police, and uh, it's a a sad day for New York. Um, One of the interesting things that I think everybody should be aware of is that JetBlue, anytime a police officer is killed in the line of duty, provides free airfare to any other police officer that would like to fly out to the funeral. And my understanding is that they did they brought thirty thousand, that's many zeros, four zeros, uh, to New York for this funeral. 
We're not going to obviously go into the details. That's not a technology thing, but, again, our sympathies go out to the NYPD family and to the family of the fallen officer. Okay. TechCrunch. Hundreds of hackers were welcome for the spring tradition of Disrupt New York Hackathon. Some of them were participating in our event for the first time, while others were regular hackers. Their challenge was to come up with a neat, funny, and smart hack in just 24 hours. There was excitement in the air when the 116s took the stage to present a short one-minute demo to impress fellow hackers and our judges. But only one team could take home the grand prize and $5,000. Witness was the app that did it. Witness is a panic button that takes advantage of everything your phone can do, and yet it remains very easy to use. To activate Witness, you just need to launch the iPhone app and press the big red button. As soon as we activate it, it will call and text your emergency contacts. In addition to alerting your friends and family, Witness will record your location, camera, microphone activity, and stream it over cellular and Wi-Fi to your emergency contacts in real time. In the meantime, your screen fades to black so that nobody can notice what you're streaming. The team didn't use any third-party backend to handle the live streaming code on the iPhone and server. In addition to being very useful, hack Witness is also an impressive tech achievement. Congratulations to them. Cranes tells us that welcome to the real-time version of Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, long dismissed as geeks with a penchant for obscure Doctor Who references, cybersecurity experts are now the hottest commodity in business, any business. With hack attacks reaching record levels, corporations and the federal government are committing vast resources to combat ever more sophisticated intruders. J.P. Morgan Chase, for instance, vowed to double its annual security budget to $500 million after suffering a major hack. Now, these are the bad hacks as opposed to the previous article, which was a good hack. The flood of cash has unleashed an unprecedented scramble to find the relative handful of people with the skills to protect vast computer networks, only 44 100 New Yorkers worked in information security last year, according to U.S. Department of Labor data. Now on LinkedIn, more than 50 open positions were advertised, um, a number that is expected to grow, even though many employers here elect to keep their network protection squads in low-cost locales. Cybersecurity analysts who haven't updated their resumes in years uh, say that they regularly get offered positions uh, one in every seven changed jobs last year. In such an environment, pay is soaring, and New York is the heart of frenzy for computer security guys. The average information security analyst in New York was paid about $120,000 last year, according to federal data, and business leaders say big companies are now routinely offering 20% to 30-more-plus bonuses. If you're in that area, you may want to update your resume. Capital New York tells us the New York Post is hoping advertisers will take a bite out of some Big Apple nostalgia with a pair of new video series rolling out later this year. One More Night will feature legendary music venues of more of your like Max's Kansas City, Danceteria, and CBGB blockumentaries will focus on iconic New York blocks from Driver's Road to McDougal Street to Timpan Alley. Both theories are part of a tabloid's custom content studio, meaning they can be customized in collaboration with brands that pay money to be attached to the content as opposed to being produced by post-journalists 
independent of advertisers. Okay. CBS tells us that uh, Nintendo reported a net profits of 41.8 billion yen. That's $350 million for the fiscal year. A reverse from deep losses the previous year as it reshapes its trouble business with a long-delayed foray into smartphone games. The result from Kyoto-based maker of Super Mario video games and the Wii Home console was better than its forecast with 30 billion yen, or $251 million. Nintendo did an about-face recently and said it's entering smartphone games, a segment it brushed off for years as irrelevant, insisting on the appeal of the game machines. The fall-off in appetite for game machines in the past few years is partly because people are increasingly playing games or doing social media and other activities on smartphones. Nintendo has repeatedly had to lower prices on gadgets to woo buyers. Finally, NextWeb tells us that ever since Foursquare broke its product off and two fans of the app has long missed battling friends and strangers to retain mayorships of their favorite establishments. Well, miss no more. The company today announced that mayorships are returning to Swarm, along with a slew of new stickers that you can unlock and use when you check into places, send messages, and upload photos. If you use Foursquare before it turned into Swarm, you'll recognize some of these stickers. Uh, Crunk and Bender, for example, are throwbacks to the first couple of badges you can earn when you start using the pre-Cambrian version of the app. Much like the old Foursquare, to unlock the stickers, you'll have to check into a certain amount of places under the same category. To obtain a Mona sticker, for example, you need to get yourself to several art galleries. Okay, well, hope all listeners that are into that... Uh, Check it out. We're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guests. We're going to talk to you about hybrid clouds, the practical solution. I'm Tom DiOria. It's May 10th, 2015. This is IMI's Tech Talk, and we're on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Ice Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's May 10th, 2015. And today's show is going to tell you about hybrid clouds and the practical solution. Our guest, Dan Kuznetsky, is the analyst and founder of Kuznetsky Group LLC, and he is responsible for research, publications, and operations. Daniel has been involved with information technology since the late 1970s, and before founding his company, he held positions of VP of Research Services at the 451 Group, Executive VP of Corporate Marketing Strategy at Open Exchange, VP of System Software Research at International Data Corp., and Intel Unix Business Manager at Digital Equipment Corporation. This allows Dan to understand the entire product lifecycle of hardware, software, and professional services. Dan, thanks for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. So, um, we've talked about cloud computing uh, on the show, and, uh, and I'd like you to give our listeners who aren't familiar with a little update, but, and, and then if you could tell us what a hybrid cloud is, once you define a cloud, then we can confuse everybody, or hopefully not. Uh, that's what I specialize in is confusion. 
Good, then we're on the same track. <laughs> um, so define, define cloud to, to our listeners that may not be, may have heard it but may not be familiar with it. All right, cloud computing is a marketing catchphrase used that basically adds up to you use the data center, the software, the expertise running in somebody else's data center a cloud service provider. And what makes it different from previous forms of co-location services, managed services, or hosting services is that rather than signing a contract for a long period of time, reserving systems, or in some cases, buying your own systems and putting them in the data center of the service provider, you use their servers, you sign up for it, it's on-demand, it's a, you pay for it as you use it, very much like a utility, like gas or electric. In fact, earlier forms of the marketing catchphrase was utility computing. And I guess that didn't catch on, so the marketeers decided to call it cloud computing, and that seems to have really stuck. Now, what is hybrid cloud computing? And that is where you use the software architectures used in cloud computing, that is, the self-serve, the dynamically assigned pool of resources, but you want to use part of it in your data center managed by your people and part of it in the data center of a cloud service provider. And there are quite a number of suppliers of management software that will monitor that kind of environment and actually move workloads back and forth from your data center to the cloud provider and back. So I'd like, to, I'd like to come back to that in a minute, but um, back on the discussion about uh, how cloud computing got its start, um, how old is this? Is this five years old, two years old, ten years old? If we go back to the original concept of hosting or managed services or co-location, those are three separate things. This is a concept that's 40 years old, at least. What's new is the addition of the ability to sign up for it using a web page, give a credit card, have systems spun up for you, virtual systems, allow you to use them, and then pay for the use as you use it on a monthly basis. So the, that new wrinkle in how you provision and purchase it and how you pay for it is new maybe 10 years ago. Absolutely outstandingly funny things have been said about sure. cloud computing, including some industry journalists saying there's no need for computers anymore because we've got cloud computing. <laughs> And, of course, that's funny because there are computers in use. They're just in the data center of the service provider instead of the enterprise's own data center. Now, how do you think they coined the phrase cloud, just because it's above you and not in, not in your place? I mean, it sounds strange to come up with that kind of a, a name for this processor. If you've seen presentations made by hardware, software, services, suppliers, when they are talking about the Internet or computing done somewhere else, 
it's often pictured on the slides as a cloud. And wow, that'll be, even, okay. though there's no proof of this, my best guess is somebody looked at their marketing deck and said, okay, if it's running over there, it's running in the cloud, let's call it cloud computing. I'll buy that. How does that differ from outsourcing? We used to use that term five or ten years ago, you know, when you didn't have the stuff on site and you were outsourcing to IBM or somebody else to run your, your applications. Is this different, similar? I would say it's the newest phase of outsourcing because outsourcing has been a trend we've watched for maybe 20 years, and that's where organizations look at what they are doing determine that maybe somebody else would be better to do parts of that. Maybe they could do it faster. Maybe they could do it more inexpensively. Maybe they could do it more robustly. But we've watched a trend of organizations outsourcing different functions that are part of the overall information technologies portfolio they have. So the first things they did in this outsourcing move was rather than building all of their software themselves as custom software tuned specifically for their own needs, they started to purchase packaged software from software suppliers. And what they were doing was saying, okay, I will use your developers, your documentation people, your training, and I will get the advantage of best people but only pay for the small part of it that I actually use. Then the next step was to outsource some functions that could be done remotely in areas where the specialists were more inexpensive. So we saw management centers managing systems all over the world from some place where the cost of the staff was quite low. Then we started to see people putting computing in somebody else's data center where they could manage the data center more effectively than the enterprise could. This is where you get the concept of hosting, where people put their computer in somebody else's data center. Then we have co-location, which is related but a little bit different, and that's where multiple computer companies that work together as teams wanting to improve the overall performance of working together across a network. They would put systems from each company in a shared data center run by a third party, and now the network communication can go across from one local area network node to another without leaving the building. And then later, it would leave the building to go into the target company's network. And then we saw the uh, emergence of the entire thing running in somebody else's data center, and all you do is sign up to use their software. So there are examples of, uh, and this is called software as a service, where a company can basically rent access to customer relationship management software, enterprise resource planning software, or perhaps a platform upon which they could build their own custom software that's called platform as a service. But as we get into those things, people are basically signing up for it on their own 
giving a credit card or some other kind of means of paying for it. It is spun up automatically by software at the cloud service provider, and they have access to either a software or a platform to build uh, their own software or perhaps a whole virtual or physical machine they could use for their purposes. Well, that's a uh, really good history of this. I've got uh, some questions I want to ask you, but we have to take a break. Uh, this is Tom DiOrio. We're live on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 10th of May, 2015. And we're talking about cloud computing, a practical solution with our guest, uh, Dan Kuznetsky. And uh, we're going to take a break. This is a half-hour break, so you're going to get the international news. Please stay tuned. Come back. Uh, and uh, we'll be here. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 10th of May, 2015. I'm Tom Dioria. Our guest today is Dan Kuznetsky, and we're talking about hybrid clouds, the practical solution. And just before the break, Dan gave us a really good breakdown of uh, the history of cloud computing. And one of the questions we have is, in, in the current state, um, I'm running, I don't have any... Com- We'll get to hybrid in a bit, but I'm running all my stuff on somebody else's computers or servers in the cloud. Uh, am I also getting all my programming done through them, or are we doing the programming on our site and just running it on their equipment? Good question, and it has multiple answers. Okay. Some approaches to... Uh, cloud computing is where uh, uh, an approach is where people subscribe to use an application offered by a cloud service provider. The examples are pretty obvious. You sign up with Salesforce.com to get customer relationship management. The program is all written by Salesforce.com. They have their own operation staff, their own computers, their own storage. And basically, a subscriber signs up to have a certain number of people have the ability to access that software during a given time period, and they pay for it by the desktop by the month. And then there's software that um, does enterprise resource planning. But if those things are not satisfactory, sometimes the same supplier, and of course many other suppliers, will say, If you want to develop your own software, we have development tools, we have uh, application frameworks that simplify things. You write your own code here, you run it here, and then you pay for it as you use it rather than having to pay the full software license fees for the databases, the operating systems, and pay full cost of the hardware. That's called platform as a service. And then there are other people who want to or have already either purchased their own applications or developed their own applications, and they just want to run them somewhere else where someone else owns the system, someone else operates it, someone else manages it, someone else makes sure there's enough storage and all of the operational specifics are taken care of. 
and that's called uh, Infrastructure as a Service, or IAAS. And it really depends on what an organization wants to do, which of these is the best choice, or perhaps none of them are the right choice. Well, you, that raises a good question. When is cloud computing not the right choice? Do you have some examples of organizations that you may work with where that's not a solution? I, I've worked with a number of suppliers uh, or um, enterprises where they do not believe that it's appropriate to put either the computing or the storage, the data, in somebody else's data center because they cannot meet regulatory requirements for their um, their industry or they're in a country where it is not appropriate. It's against the law for personal information of customers to go outside of the country. Germany has laws like that and several other countries. So if they are a company working in Germany, they may decide not to put their application in a cloud service provider's data center because they may not know where that storage, where the applications are actually running. And it's also possible that the application might move from place to place depending upon the load on the systems, uh, outages, failures. A lot of times the service providers have provisions so that if a data center shuts down somewhere in the United States, they may have another data center to move the applications to, and that data center may or may not be in an area that's considered acceptable. So there are some kinds of applications. Usually the categories are applications for companies in regulated industries where the regulations specify where and how the data should be managed, or companies in countries that specify where and how the data should be managed. The other area that I've seen where people make the decision to keep everything in their own data center is when the application is so critical to their well-being as a company. The kind of application that if it shuts down, the company's out of business until it comes back up. Quite often, companies want to keep those in-house so that their people can manage it. And so if something goes wrong, they are the first priority to bring it back up. If a data center that's at a cloud service provider goes down or the system upon which the application is running goes down, the cloud service provider decides the priority of who comes first and who comes next. And some companies rather make sure that they always come first when something goes wrong. That's a, that's a really good example. Um, going back to, to the, the, the first reasons you were giving, um, does that lend itself in, in, in some cases or any cases where you would have hybrid, where they would keep the data at their location, but the applications could run in the cloud, or is that something that doesn't even factor in here? Uh, that is possible and quite often done. And, again, where that would be indicated was in a place where people were spinning up a new application. They didn't want to acquire the software and hardware to run the application. They wanted to try out an idea, may perhaps enter a new market. 
and before going through the process of um, acquiring hardware software and getting it installed and uh, going through the procurement process, they may decide to start up applications in a cloud service provider and have it point back to data in their own data center. And once again, it depends upon the industry and what they're doing has to survive an audit. They may choose not to do that because it's kind of difficult in that environment to know exactly what kind of computers ran your software, what versions of every piece of software are running, when were they last updated, who updated it, who has the opportunity to change them, all of that material needs to be logged and uh, be able to survive an audit. And it's somewhat difficult. Many cloud service providers don't allow the customers to have that detailed and access to what's going on. There are cloud service providers, on the other hand, who specialize in that, and that's one of their key uh, marketing uh, tools is to say, if you want to pay extra for an environment that allows you to survive an audit where you control everything, uh, we're glad to, to do that for you. And I've spoken to a number of cloud service providers both here in the United States and in Europe that offer that as an alternative. But usually that costs more for the person wanting to subscribe to that service because the machines must be dedicated they must be running potentially different versions of software than the rest of the uh, service provider's environment is running, and so it's more expensive to supply that service. So, of course, they pass the charges on to the customers wanting that service. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, situation. You mentioned one of the, I mean, one of the advantages of, or some of the advantages of being in the cloud is that the uh, provider probably has multiple sites, so if one goes down, um, they can switch you over to another one. But one of the comments you make is it's not necessarily true that you would have the priority that they would immediately switch you over if somebody else had a higher priority. Is that generally the case? Uh, if you talk to different suppliers, the example I would use would be Amazon uh, Web Services, AWS. They have multiple data centers, but it is a separate service offering to have your application have the ability to run in multiple data centers. So many people think they're uh, having access to all of Amazon when in reality they've just subscribed to the use of specific services in one data center. And then, of course, if there's a failure and there's nowhere for their application to go, they blame Amazon. Of course, it isn't Amazon's problem. It's it's the company's problem for not buying access to multiple data centers and running software that would transfer the work and the data from one data center to another in case of a slowdown or a failure. But most of the large cloud service providers have provisions to automatically or manually move workloads from one system to another or from one data center to another but like anything else in a entirely service-driven environment, that's an additional cost service, and many companies either choose not to do it because they want to save money, or they don't know that that's even possible, so they don't do it. Gotcha. 
We're going to take a break. Uh, it's Tom DeRoy on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 10th of May, 2015. We're talking about hybrid clouds, the practical solution with our guest, Dan Kuznetsky. And uh, please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 10th of May, 2015, and we're talking about uh, hybrid clouds. And our guest is uh, Dan Kuznetsky. And uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about uh, your company. Uh, Kuznetsky Group LLC is a relatively small but very sincere industry research firm. We provide information on the market, market dynamics, products, technology in the areas of systems, software, virtualization technology, and the infrastructure for cloud computing. Uh, We have worked with nearly every major hardware and software supplier, many government entities, and I'll call them Global 2000. Uh, companies in Europe and the United States, Canada, Mexico, and other places. Uh, We do a lot of writing. I have a column uh, where I write information about virtualization on virtualizationreview.com. I write books that you can find on Amazon. And the title of this is actually a title of a book that I recently published and it's available both on my website and as an ebook in the Kindle library on Amazon.com. And what's your website? My website, and the big challenge here is spelling it properly, it's Kuznetsky.net. And it's K-U-S-N-E-T-Z-K-Y. Please be sure to use Kuznetsky.net and not .com. Kuznetsky.com is my dad's law firm, and I don't think you'll find my research published in the law firm's website. <laughs> is that the best way to get in touch with you? Is there a way to do that once they get to your website? Um, there is a Contact Us button on the website, but you can always send email to info at Kuznetsky.net, and it will get to someone who will respond. Great. Okay, so assuming that um, companies want to get further into this, should should they come up with a, an overall IT strategy or just run out and purchase services as they decide they may need them? I guess that, that my experience over the years has been if people have a plan and they know where they're going, they usually get there or someplace better. But if people just start acquiring technology, start going somewhere without knowing where they're going, without even knowing precisely what they want to accomplish, they usually fail at their attempt. Um, I'm not remembering the quote exactly, but I think it was the mock turtle that said, if you don't know where you're going, you can end up somewhere else. So I suggest to people before starting to consider how you're going to do your computing examine very closely what do you need to do, then you can look at all of those things that need to be done and determine the best way to do each of them. And it may turn out that one application 
is best done by a third party and maybe you should use their services. An example might be collaborative software or electronic messaging. Maybe it's better to use Gmail than to have your own email system. Maybe it's better to use samepage.io rather than setting up your own collaborative system so that your teams can work together across the planet. Or maybe it's better that you do it all yourself. But I think before you start picking services and deploying things, it's better to have a plan and know how they should all fit together. Otherwise, you end up with, um, I'm going to get a little biblical here, you're going to create an electronic tower of Babel for yourself in your own organization and find it impossible to work. So it's better to start with a plan and then go from there. So let's say the plan includes uh, moving either entirely to the cloud or a hybrid solution. What do I do with all this computing stuff I've got that I've been getting management to give me millions and millions and millions of dollars? Well, that's, there, there are a couple of trends going on, and the question you ask is related to them. Over time, equipment is getting smaller. It's consuming less electricity. It's producing less heat. You can get more computational work done in a given small area. So we're finding many data centers, uh, many op uh, enterprises are discovering their data centers are over-provisioned. They built too big of data centers when they made their planning 10 years ago based upon the capacity of machines at that time. And it exacerbates it somewhat when workloads move out of those data centers into somebody else's. And there are a number of companies that can help evaluate where each one of those applications should go, what should be done with the data centers. For example, it may make sense to decommission data centers because all the work is worked somewhere else, and then the real estate can be sold or used for some other purpose. Or perhaps it will make better sense to take multiple data centers, consolidate them, and get rid of the ones that you're no longer using. Another technology is to become somewhat of a service provider and say, I've got this big data center. I'm using one bay of it. There are 10 other bays that are no longer in use. Maybe I can rent those bays to some other company that wants um, a facility that's managed by a third party. That takes a lot of expertise and a lot of understanding of many different types of, of technologies to make the best decision. And so I'm suggesting to people that it's a good idea if you don't have all of those types of expertise on staff to engage the services of someone who's done this before. Uh, I've gotten uh, a lot of help from the people of Brunspac. I believe that you had their uh, president speak to you and your audience not too long ago. Yes, we did. They have an, an incredible track record, but they're not the only company. I just know of them because I've worked with them. And it, if a company is looking at their assets and saying, we're not using all of this, maybe it's time to consider bringing in someone who can help decide what is the best use for what uh, resources you have should some resources be decommissioned and sold? Should resources be merged into one data center to take 
or a small number of data centers to make best use of it. It's a complex decision, even though it sounds pretty simple here. Then there are the uh, staffing issues as well. I mean, once you start moving into the cloud and using somebody else's hardware and getting away from your own, uh, I guess that needs to be taken into consideration. And do you find that that's a stumbling block in certain cases? I think it's one consideration. I think that something else is really important to remember is the enterprise is still responsible for the results, regardless of who's managing the data center, who owns the computers, who wrote the software. The customer still holds them responsible if something doesn't work or if things perform badly. So moving into a cloud computing environment doesn't mean that all of your responsibility to maintain a computing environment goes away. Sometimes it just makes the job more difficult because if the network is acting strangely and the enterprise is not allowed to look at any depth into the network infrastructure inside of the cloud data center, what do you do? How do you find out where the problem is even if you know that the cloud provider is going to address it when you, you know, call them and ask for help. And there are a number of performance management companies that actually do monitoring and give enterprises the tools to look at what's going on, where is it slowing down, and they try and pry into the black box that is a cloud service and give people the opportunity to understand what's going on inside of that box. Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This is a very informative show. Next week, we're again going to be live from our New York offices with our weekend review, and Robert Osgood is going to tell us about computer forensics and cybersecurity. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for the weekend review. Taylor Redden is our producer, Matt Campagni is our executive producer, and without the help of Robert Bob back in the KFNX AM 1100 production department, not a word would you hear. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening. And again, our prayers go out to the family of Brian Moore and the NYPD. 